0: Lord
1: for thy grace that we might dwelling place may be
2: Welcome to Life Study of the Bible brought to you by Living Stream Ministry featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsmradio.org. Now, here's our show today. In the Old Testament arrangement, all those who were born in the line of Aaron were designated automatically to the priesthood. To be a priest was not available to everyone. But the Lord made a provision for any among God's people who would voluntarily choose to serve him in an absolute way. It was called the vow of the Nazarite. Under the provisions of this vow, a person's living and characteristics were subject to the highest and strictest standard. Though such a formal vow with its restrictions is not directly associated with the New Testament economy, In principle, the Lord desires all of his children to be real Nazarites even today, just as the Lord Jesus lived so absolutely for God and to God. Bob Danker has joined us as we look into the vow of the Nazarite, a very interesting subject on today's Life Study. Bob, welcome back to the program.
0: It's good to be back, Chris, and I really agree with you. This matter of the vow of the Nazarite is a truly wonderful matter.
2: There was this special provision, Bob, in the Old Testament It was a special vow that certain ones among God's people would choose voluntarily to make. And as we've said already, it's called the vow of the Nazarite. We read about it in Numbers chapter 6. Here's the first part of this vow found in verses 1 through 5. Then Jehovah spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to Jehovah, He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, nor shall he drink any juice of grapes, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to Jehovah. He shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow long. Bob, there's a number of other provisions, but briefly describe what's signified or typified here by this vow as it's been interpreted over the centuries by the great Bible teachers. Well, Chris, this vow, the
0: Nazarite vow, is a very significant place in God's economy. In the life study of Exodus, we saw that when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. His intention was that every Israelite would be a priest to serve him. That means to be a person absolutely separated to God and for God. But we see later in the book of Exodus how the people of Israel, they worshipped the golden calf, and they disqualified themselves from the priesthood. So God designated one tribe, the tribe of Levi, to be separated to him, and to serve him in the priestly office. So if you were born of that tribe, you were automatically a priest. Uh, this was absolutely from God's initiation. But here in Numbers chapter 6, we see something quite marvelous. If any Israelite, regardless of what tribe he was from, mm-hmm. had the desire to offer himself voluntarily to God, he could take a vow and be one who was absolutely separated to God and for God. And, of course, we see this Nazarite vow being particularly important in the history of the children of Israel because when we come to the time of Samuel, right. we find out that the priesthood of the house of Aaron under Eli became degraded. And Samuel, who was not a Levite, was not born in Aaron's family, was offered to God by his mother as a Nazarite, and he became a priest Mm. to replace the degraded priesthood of the house of Aaron and to bring in a new age in God's economy. And later on, when the children of Israel became degraded again in the time of the judges, we see uh, the person Samson, was also a Nazarite, So you can see that this Nazarite vow is something very special and very much needed by God, especially in the time of the degradation of his people because God needs those who are voluntarily offer themselves to him. Otherwise, he has no way to carry out his purpose.
2: And this has tremendous relevance for us today. So historically, Bob, this matter of the Nazarite vow has played an important role in God's economy on several occasions. Uh, What we're going to see, I think, particularly in this first section, and it's appropriate as we begin this study on this matter of the Nazarite vow, that we begin really with the one true Nazarite in all of human history, of course, our dear Lord Jesus. Here's Witness Lee.
1: I really admire the uh, sequence of the arrangement of these two chapters. Right after the record of the formation of the divine army, we have a chapter on the dealing with the development. Then following the dealing of the development, we have a kind of test to test how much we are so single, so pure, so chaste to the one whom we love. Now, following these, we have chapter six on the Nazareth. According to typology, among the human race on this earth and the generations, the unique Nazareth is Jesus. Amen in his living for God, in his humanity. Hallelujah. At least there is one man on this earth. He is absolute and ultimately for God. The unique Nazareth is Jesus. So, Nazareth there is a type of Jesus. In God's heart, God expects every one of his people to be a Nazareth. Not just one. Not just only Jesus. You see? He wants all of us to be Nazareth. To be a Nazareth is just to be sanctified absolutely and ultimately to God. You are now no more for anything. You are just for God. now, this Nazareth matter is a test of our absoluteness. We must be absolutely and ultimate for God.
2: Bob, there seems to be a paradox here, but there is, a, I think, an answer for this. We're seeing that at, with the high standard required for the one who would take such a vow, really, in all of human history, there's only been one genuine Nazarite, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But we heard at the conclusion here, God's desire is for all of his people to be such Nazirites. How can this be possible that we could all become such a Nazirite in our living?
0: Well, you're right, Chris. As Witness Lee pointed out, only one person in human history has ever been absolutely separated for God and to God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our pattern as the real Nazarite. And it is really true. We are in ourselves can never be such persons. We can never be absolutely separated. In fact, we are everything but a Nazarite. We are for everything other than God. So we need this wonderful Christ to be our life. We need Him to live in us the Nazarite life. Otherwise, We are just in a degraded situation. You know, when the Lord Jesus came on this earth as a man, the entire nation of Israel had fallen away from God and they had become degraded. So there was a tremendous need for such a Nazarite. God needed such a man in order to have a way to continue to fulfill his economy on this earth. So today it is the same. Today, the situation of God's people on this earth is not so positive. Not so many people are absolutely for God. So what can God do? He needs some who will offer themselves willingly to him to be absolutely separated to him. Of course, we have to realize in ourselves we cannot be such persons. Mm -hmm. But we have one in us who is the Nazarite and In our daily Christian life, we need very much to lay hold of this one and experience this one in a practical way as our Nazarite life, as a life that is absolutely for God.
2: Bob, as we get into this chapter further, we really find that there are four primary elements or characteristics that describe this Nazarite. Uh, we are going to deal with three of them today. We'll save the fourth one uh, until tomorrow. So as we reflect back on those five verses we read, uh, we see the first two of these matters described. Bob, number one Everything associated with the vine, with the grape and wine, was to be abstained from by the Nazarite. And secondly, no razor was to touch the hair of their head. Let's find out what these signify in our living today.
1: To be a Nazarite, such a person must abstain from wine and anything related to his source, abstaining from the earth's enjoyment and pleasure. And anything earthly that makes you happy, we all like it, right? Just be careful. Any earthly treasure leads you to a lustful conduct. So, one who is absolute for God is altogether separate from earthly treasure. We have nothing to do with it. This shows the absoluteness. To be a Nazareth, you have to take care of two things, nothing to do with worldly pleasure. Number one. Number two, you have to be absolutely under authority. You have to be absolutely under the hedge. If you are a Nazareth, you must keep your hair there. If you shave your hair, it means you overthrow God's authority over you. Don't you realize today? Today is a day of lawlessness. Amen. The fallen race is a rebellious race. The rebellion nature is within us. After man's fall, God set up the government. The entire government is a deputy authority. And Romans 13 tells us this. All the officers, they are exercising their authority for God. The teachers on the classes are deputy authority. The boss is deputy authority. Then how about in the church? Christ is the head, the authority, the spirit. But still we need the elders in the church. We have Christ here. We have spirit here. We have Christ at the head. We have the spirit as authority. But still, we need the elders. Without the elders, you think about it, the church will be just an anarchy. So, the two particular characteristics of the Nazareth is, number one, not to touch any earthly pleasure. Number two, not to shave away one hair. Keep yourself all the time under some authority.
2: Okay, Bob, we have these first two characteristics. uh, No wine, nothing from the vine, and then number two, not cutting even one hair from the head. Uh, Help us to see how these relate to these things he pointed out in our living.
0: Well, uh, in the Bible, Chris, the vine really has two significances in John 15 of course it signifies Christ yes but in other places it really signifies all the pleasures of the world for instance in John 2 when the lord attended the wedding in cana the wine ran out mm-hmm. that means that the human life uh, which is the source of all human pleasures ran out yeah. and in revelation 14 At the end of this age, it says the vine of the earth is ripe. These are all the worldly Gentile peoples who are full of the worldly pleasures and the sin of the world. In this case, in number 6, we have a prohibition against the enjoyment of wine or anything that comes from the vine. So here, this must signify the pleasures of the world. Anyone who would live a life absolutely for God, separated to God for his purpose, must keep himself away from earthly pleasures because these things ultimately will lead us to some kind of, as Brother Lee pointed out, lustful conduct, mm-hmm. something that is against God. Right. Actually, Chris, uh, our greatest enjoyment as Christians is just the Lord himself to exercise our spirit, to contact him To receive him as our life and our life supply and then to live him out in our daily living. This is the top enjoyment that we can have as believers. And if we enjoy the Lord in this way, if he becomes our pleasure, then we will not have the need for the pleasures of this world. Then the second point, the cutting of the hair. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said that the sisters in the church should have their hair cut. Long, as a sign that they are under authority. So here you have a a man or a woman making a Nazarite vow. This sign of not cutting the hair simply means to keep yourself under all proper authority that is ordained by God. The first authority, of course, is just God himself. We should live under God's direct authority. But as Brother Lee pointed out, in addition to God as the supreme authority, God has established in human society many, many forms of deputy authority. This means delegated authority. We can name some. Our parents, our husband, the teacher is a deputy authority, our employer, the law, The government, the police, and the leaders in the church, all these are humans who exercise authority, but they do it for God. If we're going to live the life of a Nazarite, we have to respect all forms of God-ordained authority. If we don't live a life under the proper authority, then we are rebellious and we cannot be a Nazarite. You know, the Lord Jesus was such a person. He was always
2: under the proper authority. He never rebelled. Mm. Bob, you're right. We need the one who is the real Nazarite within us to meet such a standard. That is clear. Absolutely. Bob, we'd like to go on. The next portion in this chapter deals with the third characteristic, and that is the matter of natural affections. And it speaks specifically about the father and the mother and the brothers in the household of the Nazarite and how uh, he should not be contaminated by these ones in a natural realm. Witnessly is going to connect that to a passage in Matthew that is very familiar, I think, to most Christians. In chapter 12, And someone said to him, Behold, your mother, your brothers, are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he answered and said to him who spoke to him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. I believe many Christians have puzzled have wondered over this passage, Bob. We're going to get some real help, some real light in this coming portion.
1: A Nazareth should overcome natural affection. The affection you have toward your blood relative. The affection you have to your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, your children. These are your blood relatives. As a Nazarite, you must overcome the affection you have toward your blood relative. One day, when the Lord Jesus was teaching there, some came to him and told him, Your mother and your brother are seeking after you. Right away he denied his mother and his his brothers. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I recognize the ones in this period as my relatives. But I will not recognize those in natural life. Surely he was a real Nazarene. I say, Lord, dear saints, every New Testament believer should be Nazarene. Everyone should be Nazarene. But sorry to say what situation today is nearly you cannot see one real New Testament Nazareth now you understand when I say a Nazareth what is it it is that a person has passed through utterly and what ultimately for God he is such a person just like the man, Jesus. The best pattern of a Nazarite is Jesus. Jesus, the man.
2: Bob, I like how he ended this message. The best pattern of a Nazarite is Jesus. Jesus, the man. Of these four characteristics, Bob, the third is this matter of natural affections. And as we pointed out, I think many people wrestle with this passage in Matthew. Because we know, of course, we must love our family members. Even the Lord says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives. Yet here, the Lord seems to be denying these natural relationships. So how do we reconcile this? What's the application for us?
0: Yes, here in number six, Chris, if you read these verses, again, we will see that a Nazarite was not to be defiled when one of his blood relatives suddenly died next to him, near him. right. He was not to be defiled by death. Death here, in the physical sense in number six, signifies spiritual death. This shows us that we should not be defiled by spiritual death in any of our blood relatives. Yes, we love our mother, our father, our brother, our sister, our wife, our children, but we should not allow them To frustrate us from living a life of a Nazarite, and we should not allow any spiritual death in them to defile us. Now this is not easy because of our natural affection for them. So in this sense, we have to follow the Lord Jesus, who considered his spiritual relatives to be his real family. Although the Lord certainly loved his mother and his relatives by blood. He didn't allow his natural relationship with them to become a frustration to him in living the life of a Nazarite, living a life that was absolutely for God.
2: Yes, of course, Bob, later on in the Gospels, the Lord makes provision for his mother and her care, so obviously that love was still there. But in the living of this one unique Nazarite. There is a way to balance all of this, Bob, and to maintain the kind of love that is really has God as its source and not to indulge in a kind of natural earthly love that could end up defiling ourselves even in our walk with the Lord. Uh, This is tricky stuff, but uh, I really think the Lord had some shining today. I feel very satisfied with our time together and the fellowship we've enjoyed. Thank you so much.
0: Well, it's a pleasure, Chris. I hope all our listeners received the real help from the Lord and from the Spirit, through our fellowship today.
2: I think that uh, it would be a good message to point out the printed life studies of the book of Numbers are really marvelous, opening up a book that's been hidden and not that clear to so many, and not much appreciated. I think that's a fair statement by many of God's people. So a wonderful way to get into it and to begin to see these things and have the opportunity to go back and dig into them for yourselves, are the printed Life Study messages. Those are available if you'll contact us, toll-free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening.